Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. Nine years ago, a young woman named Agnes Wanjiru was found dead. Her body left to rot in a septic tank in Kenya. Nearly a decade on, her family is still waiting for justice. As a family, there's a lot of pain. We just hope for justice, only that. The investigation into her murder has now been reopened, and the person she was last seen with Someone who was never questioned by the Kenyan authorities was a British soldier. The allegation that one of these soldiers made was that there was a a British soldier who had been overheard bragging, boasting, laughing about having been involved in the death of a woman in Kenya. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, nine British soldiers and the murder of Agnes Wanjiru. Before we begin, a brief warning that this episode does contain descriptions of violence. She was kind, caring, jovial, happy. Also, she was social with people. That's Esther. I'm talking to her on the phone from her home in Nanyuki, Kenya, and she's telling me about her aunt, Agnes Wanjiru. She used to take care of us when mom was not in, cooking for us, washing clothes for us. Esther's aunt, Agnes, went missing one night in March 2012. She was a young mother at the time. Her daughter, Stacy, was just five months old. We are hoping just for justice because of her child. When she grows up, she'll like to know what happened, who was her mom. So my name is David Collins. I'm the Northern Editor for The Sunday Times. And my name is Hannah Alothman. I'm a news reporter for The Sunday Times based in Manchester. David and Hannah are the two journalists behind a major investigation by The Sunday Times looking at the case of Agnes Wanjiru. The story of her disappearance begins in the sports bar of a hotel called the Lions Court Inn in Nanyuki, central Kenya. It had a fireplace at one end with sort of tables around that and chairs where some people were sitting down. There was music, there was dancing. 
Hannah is describing the scene at the bar one Saturday in March 2012. That night, a group of British soldiers were letting off steam. We understand there were around 60 British soldiers there that night. They'd been on hot weather training, but they had some time off to sort of enjoy themselves. Nanuki is a relatively small town, and it's just down the road from a British military training base. It's where infantrymen would be sent for hot weather training before they were deployed to places like Afghanistan. There were local people, there were a handful of non-soldiers, but white people who I think lived locally, and then a sizable number of sex workers there as well, drinking and dancing with the soldiers and with other men in the bar. The Lion's Court Inn is a regular haunt for expats and British soldiers, and that night, things were getting raucous. The soldiers had already been drinking before they arrived. They had been to a supermarket to buy alcohol. My understanding is that's where they first picked up some of the sex workers. People were drinking heavily. They were drinking a lot. Nine of these soldiers had booked rooms at the Lions Court Inn, which were arranged as little huts around a courtyard. One of the people I spoke to, his recollection was the closest ones were about five minutes' walk from the bar, somewhere a bit further away. They would go to the bar, have a drink, have a dance with a girl, take her back to the room and then come back and do the same again and pick up another woman. And some of the men were doing this all night. At the time, Agnes was supporting herself and her daughter through sex work. Hannah and David heard that British soldiers would pay up to £30 for sex. But sometimes, in Nanyuki, they would only pay a couple of pounds a time. This was nearly a decade ago, and the difficulty is that the men that we're speaking to, they don't remember the names and the faces of the women that they had sex with that night. They don't think they saw Agnes, but our understanding was that she was in that bar. She was there with two friends. And I imagine she was among the women that were being ferried back and forth to these little individual huts where the soldiers were staying. That's what the accommodation was like. The hazy accounts of the soldiers were just one piece of the puzzle. David and Hannah have also been trawling through leaked documents which revealed details of what happened that night. So what we know on the 31st of March 2012, which was a Saturday, Agnes had her daughter Stacy, and she dropped off her daughter, who was five months old, just a baby, out of friends. She was worried at the time about being able to feed Stacy, about clothing, about really basic stuff. So she drops off Stacy at a friend's house to do childcare. And then she goes into town with a woman called Florence. And the two of them went to a bar called Charlotte's Hotel. According to a witness statement provided by Florence, it was in this bar that Agnes first began talking to a British soldier. They're chatting away and getting on very well, and Florence thinks, well, our final destination where we've agreed to go is the Lions Court Hotel. That's like the big popular night spot. So Florence asks for money for a Bode Bode, which is like a motorcycle taxi, and she goes off first down to the Lions Court Hotel, and Florence goes in, it's busy, it's packed, there's lots of soldiers there already, 
drunk and she finds another friend called Susan. Florence and Susan are both sipping water on the edge of the dance floor at the Lion's Court Inn when suddenly, at around 9pm, Agnes bursts in. Sits down at the table, breathless. She's sweating, she has been running. And they say, what's wrong? And Agnes basically says, I've just picked a Johnny's pocket. A Johnny is local slang for a British soldier. I need money for Stacey. Picked his pocket, I took a big risk, but there's nothing in the wallet. Her friends calm her down. All three are now together in the bar at the Lion's Court Inn. Florence and Susan provided witness statements to the Kenyan police about what happened next. Agnes started talking to a British soldier. She was drinking with him, he was buying her drinks. They were sat down together at a a table at one point. They were dancing together. And then they both saw Agnes and the soldier walking out of the bar towards the area of the hotel where the rooms are. And they're being escorted by a night guard employed by the hotel. They went inside and then what happened shortly afterwards was a night porter overheard what he describes as a fierce rail going on in the room between Agnes and the soldier. He just hears their voices. He doesn't see them. Back in the bar, Agnes's friends are wondering where she is. So Florence leaves at 12 o'clock because basically her mum rings and says, you've got to come back and look after your, your baby. Susan stays longer waiting for Agnes. So she doesn't want to leave her on her own in a big group of British soldiers getting rowdy. So she stays till three o'clock in the morning and still Agnes doesn't appear. Eventually, Susan heads home too. And that is the last anybody sees of Agnes walking off to the room with that soldier. The next day... Agnes's family are starting to panic, especially her sister, Rose. Here's Rose's daughter, Agnes's niece, Esther. When mum came at home, she found that she's not in, and then she asked where she has gone, and then my sister said that she had gone with her friends, Florence. The following day, we kept waiting for her to come, and then she had not yet come. Because she got a child, she got Stacy, a five-month-old baby who's still being looked after by her neighbour. It's not like Agnes to just leave Stacy. They realise Sunday afternoon something is badly wrong. Her family, her friends, and the police begin a search. They asked if Rose had had seen her, and then Rose said she had not seen her from the previous day that she went missing. Rose learned from Susan that Agnes had met a British soldier. A Transcott Hotel and they went to her room. Rose frantically looked for Agnes with her uncle, but they did not find her. Her friends went back to the hotel where Agnes was last seen. They did a search of all the rooms. I don't know how thorough that search was by the staff of the hotel. And then the police do do a search as well. They don't find anything suspicious, they say. And that is basically it. That is all that happens. No sign of Agnes emerges in the days and weeks that follow, until two months later, back at the Lion's Court Inn. The hotel manager was walking around the grounds of the hotel and he smells a fetid smell. He decides that the sewage system needs to be cleaned. All the waste and sewage for the hotel 
goes into these three septic tanks. The head of maintenance heads down and opens up the manholes, these big metal lids, and he lifts one off and looks inside. And inside the tank, he sees a submerged body. The submerged body was Agnes. She was naked, except for a white bra and a necklace. When she was found, they discovered that she'd been beaten and she'd been stabbed. It was her sister, Rose, who had to identify the body. Rose, with friends and family, went to the mortuary to confirm Agnes' body. Rose broke into tears. She felt so bad because even it was difficult to know the body because some parts were not there. So it was painful, even for her, to identify the body because some parts of the body, they have been cut. The post-mortem examination would later conclude that as well as being badly beaten, Agnes had died as a result of stab wounds to her lower right abdomen and her chest. A detail that Hannah and David keep coming back to is that on the night that Agnes disappeared, the hotel was busy. Surely somebody must have seen something. People about all night on the phone, having a cigarette, nipping back to their rooms for some more cash or to check on their belongings. These were small double rooms, but in some cases there were three soldiers sharing one room and they would bring girls back at the same time. So there were a lot of people who were about that night, all night. This was a brutal murder. These were small rooms. If someone has been stabbed, someone will have cleaned that up. I don't think this is something that could be done discreetly. You know, there, there is a suggestion there that, that people will have, have seen and heard this. So why? Nearly a decade later, is Agnes's family still waiting for justice? It was difficult because Rose had five children, which it was difficult to raise together with Agnes' daughter. And also she felt bad because she was their last born, who they felt that maybe she could one day come up and look after their family. At the time, Agnes's sister, Rose, was struggling to take care of Agnes's baby, Stacy. The baby was every time crying, crying, crying. At that time, she was three months and she was breastfeeding. Now, at this time, mom was struggling to look for milk, any other food for so that she can stop crying, making her happy at times. But the baby was still resisting. She was just crying, so it was sad for mom, even for the for the time that she was looking. She was not good. It was sad. She was a young mother. She was only 21 years old and her daughter was just five months old and her daughter has never known her mum. You know, Agnes's family are all quite understandably, they're distraught by this because this was a, a sister, a, a daughter, a mother, and they loved her and they feel that they haven't had justice for this. She was a poor woman. She didn't have a lot of money and they feel that because of her standing in society that her life has, you know, not been valued as worth that much and they, they just really want justice. Why has it taken so long to investigate Agnes's murder? We'll have more in just a moment. But first... Hi, I'm Emily Dugan, Social Affairs Correspondent at The Sunday Times. It's you 
listeners and subscribers, who enable me to investigate. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. If you subscribe today, you can enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. Raise your hand if you want Salon Perfect Nails for just $2 a manicure. Yeah, me too. With the Alvin June Manny system, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours and love your nails more than ever. I would know I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny system with code PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. That's PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. David, you've covered this story for more than a decade now. What happened to the initial investigation? How did that unfold? Police investigations, what they rely on largely are three key things. If you're wondering what that sound is in the background, we spoke to David from Manchester where, surprisingly, it rained. Forensics, CCTV and eyewitnesses. And if you don't have those three, you are struggling. The initial investigation by the police, obviously it was two months after Agnes first went missing. So obviously that is a significant amount of time in any police investigation. You've got no forensics. The hotel room's been cleaned again and again. You've got no CCTV. This is the middle of nowhere in Kenya in a hotel. But what about eyewitnesses? Because clearly there was a lot of people out that night. They have eyewitnesses that put a soldier in a room with Agnes. They've obviously got two close friends who see Agnes with a soldier going off from the bar area to the room and then they've got the two hotel staff one of them escorted them to the room and the the other one heard a row were the soldiers questioned so this is where it starts to get quite controversial especially for the ministry of defense and the royal military police the short answer to that after nine years is no not a single soldier who was there that night has been questioned. Despite a British soldier being the prime suspect in her murder. 
of all the methods of investigating this, eyewitnesses are the most important. We know nine British soldiers were definitely there. She was last spotted going off with one of them and none of them have spoken to the police. How is that possible? So here's the extraordinary thing. The Kenyan police detectives, the lead detective was called Ramadan Jabali. Detective Jabali had meetings with the officers at the local army base, the British army base, where they were training at the time. And it just so happened that the Royal Military Police had a special unit there at the time. The Royal Military Police investigates serious wrongdoing by British soldiers at home and abroad. They were in Nanuki at the time, investigating a completely different case. We don't know what it was, but they were there basically by coincidence. We have correspondence and logs of the meetings that Detective Jabali had with the Royal Military Police officers. Initial inquiries were carried out, so they confirmed the names of the soldiers, the nine that were there that night. They confirmed their regiment, their battalion, their ranks, basic information about each one. I mean, this is all the information that's already in the hotel register. This is already in the hotel register, although they didn't have the regiment, for example, or the rank of each soldier. But the bombshell was, oh, by the way, these soldiers, they're not in Kenya anymore. They finished their training. So now they're back in the UK. So interviewing them is obviously going to be made really, really difficult. So Detective Jabali, during his original investigation, put in a formal request. Asking for each of those nine soldiers to be questioned by the Royal Military Police. We've got a list of the questions they wanted each suspect to be asked. We've even got a request that they wanted DNA taken from each of the suspects, you know, things that any normal police investigation would want. And here's where the investigation essentially ends. No DNA is handed over, they're not even questioned. And what the Ministry of Defence told us is that they have no record of that request ever being made by the Kenyan authorities. I mean, it seems shocking to think that entire investigation by both the Kenyan police and the Royal Military Police just completely stalled. Do we know what Agnes's family was, was told at the time? Agnes's family believe that British soldiers were responsible and that is what the police officers in Kenya thought at the time and were telling the family. They were being told that they would question the soldiers. It never happened. I mean, Kenya is, especially that part of Kenya, the administrative system, it's not efficient. I mean, a murder like Agnes's would be dealt with by a major crime team in the UK. In Kenya, there's no such thing as a major crime team locally. The closest is the Directorate of Criminal Investigation in Nairobi, which is essentially their FBI. It kind of trundles on uh, year after year. Nothing is really being done, although it's an unsolved murder, so they can't completely ignore it. Until, in 2019, there was an inquest. It took seven years for the inquest to happen, and when it does, the coroner rules, of course, it's an unlawful killing because she's been stabbed twice, once in the chest and once in the abdomen. The findings put pressure on the police. The case was taken over by the Director for Criminal Investigation in Nairobi, who has now made contact 
with the British Ministry of Defence. And the Ministry of Defence have said, as they did in 2012, by the way, we are here to offer any assistance necessary. This new team of police have told the family categorically, we will go to the UK if that is what is required to interview those soldiers. If that's what it takes, we will travel to the UK to speak to the, this group of soldiers that we think might be responsible. In the meantime, Hannah and David have been on the trail of the nine soldiers who had booked rooms that night. We haven't been able to track down all of them. And then some of them have led us to others who weren't the initial nine suspects, but we learned just through talking to the people who were there that there were more people there on the night and we, we got some more names and we've been able to expand those conversations and build up a bit of a clearer picture of what happened. The soldiers they've spoken to have not only provided details of the night, but also of the culture amongst the British soldiers and the sort of behaviour that was considered normal. One of the, the men that I spoke to said that this wasn't particularly unusual. He, he said, apart from the, the obvious tragedy, he said it was quite clean compared to other sort of nights out that he'd been on. He said this was a regular thing that, you know, he, he gave examples of Germany and Cyprus. He would go out with his fellow soldiers. They would get very drunk and they would pick up multiple sex workers. I asked him, you know, aside from the murder, was this night anything out of the ordinary? And he said, no, it wasn't. To paint a picture of the culture that had developed, the soldiers that David and Hannah interviewed told them about an unrelated brawl that took place the night before Agnes's disappearance at a bar near the Lion's Court Inn. To me, it was extraordinary. It might be a normal night out in Nanyuki for the soldiers, but my gosh, you know, 200 Irish and Scots guards battering each other, a fight that started the senses of row over football, Celtic and Rangers. And it just became this huge brawl. Military police were sent down to stop the fight. The military police got thrown off the balconies. Sounds pretty extraordinary. Well, it's described to me as like something out of a John Wayne film. I mean, it is literally like the Wild West. The soldiers train at the base all week doing the hot weather training. And at the weekend, they're essentially released into Nanyuki. And everything is cheap, you know, to British soldiers over there. The second thing is, these are large groups of young men who've been cooped up all week and they're essentially unleashed onto an unsuspecting town which has these little kind of bars, these hotspots where they know they can go and be accepted and spend money and they are sleeping en masse with these local women. But I think there is an important distinction to be made when we talk about sex workers in this country, we get an image of professional sex workers. In Nanyuki, they were basically local women. A lot of them have jobs in the day, but they know that by going out and essentially pulling a soldier and going back with him that night, and soldiers can pay around £30, although some of the women sleep with soldiers for much less, that is the equivalent of a week's salary. And Yuki is a poor, poor area. I mean, it has some really extreme deprivation, particularly in the suburbs where Agnes was from. And the streets are essentially made up of shacks where people live. 
corrugated tin roofs and very basic walls. This is where these women are from. Some of them are reliant, and as Agnes was, on hooking up with a soldier and getting paid for it. According to the soldiers that Hannah and David spoke to, the kind of behaviour that took place in Nanyuki in 2012 was not out of the ordinary. One of the people that I spoke to said, you know, how many of the men were having sex with sex workers? And he said it was everyone. And he said, you know, people had wives and girlfriends and in some cases children back home, but this was just something that they did. We learned that they were HIV tested when they returned to the UK. And then the allegation that one of these soldiers made was that he was of the belief that senior people in the regiment would have known about this. He said there were rumours that went around. And I asked whether he thought the British Army had covered up and he said, I don't know that. But he said within the regiment, he believed that enough people knew about this, that, that there had been attempts to keep it quiet. Another thing we learned as well was that on, on later postings, there was a, a British soldier who had been overheard bragging, boasting, laughing about having been involved in the death of a woman in Kenya. We don't know who that is, but our understanding is that, that someone has sort of claimed responsibility in private to other soldiers. Were you quite surprised about the sort of the picture they paint of British military culture? Yes, I mean, you read the odd story in the tabloids about, you know, soldiers behaving badly. But I think the extent of it shocked me and how widespread it was. If this soldier's account is to be believed and I have no reason to doubt it, how much an ingrained part of the culture it is. One of the soldiers Hannah spoke to explained that this behaviour wasn't limited to junior soldiers. He claims that all ranks who were out in Kenya were there that night. Those sort of details I found quite shocking. This would have been an awkward murder diplomatically for them. We have an arrangement, the British government, with the Kenyan government, and it's a defence agreement, which means that we can have a base there, and that base comes at a cost. The Kenyans don't let us have it there for free. In exchange, we allow the Kenyan Defence Force to train with our regiments, so the Kenyans get training out of it. Uh, the local economy benefits. I mean, the British government say it's worth roughly about 10 to 20 million pounds a year to Nanyuki and the surrounding area. So the Kenyans want that investment. But the British training camp hasn't been without controversy. And it's not the first time that the behaviour of soldiers in this part of the world has made headlines. Last year, the parachute regiment went there for training. The powers, you know, they are an elite force, really. The best of the powers are essentially the SAS. And there were stories that came out which were just extraordinary. It was local women being slept with in exchange for money. And a lot of the powers, according to reports, were sleeping with women with no protection. So there was a moment where the commanding officer of the powers said to his battalion, how many of you have slept with local women? and 60 put the hands up. And then he said, how many of you slept with local women unprotected? And 30 kept their hands up. And they had to do a, a mass HIV test of those soldiers because HIV is quite prevalent in that area, especially amongst sex workers, which is exactly the same as what we understand happened in, in 2012 when Agnes was murdered. 
the soldiers that were there at the time came back to the UK and had a mass HIV test. So it begs the question, what on earth are the British Army thinking when we're going to these places? Is that an acceptable way for soldiers to behave? I genuinely find it quite shocking. It's like the behaviour of that, that you hear in the 18th century. You know, this is a modern fighting force. The army's slogan is, be the best. Well, we don't act like it, you know, in these places, certainly not on that evidence. I think it's really shocking for anyone, you know, reading what's happened. It, it, it really subverts a lot of people's idea of how the British military acts. You know, you sort of imagine they're ambassadors for the country wherever they go. And I mean, this is just shocking behaviour. But what will reopening the investigation mean for, for the military now? They do not like investigations like this. I've reported on alleged war crimes in Afghanistan for a long time and, you know, all the way through the Iraq and the Afghanistan inquiries. Operation Northmore was the investigation into any wrongdoing in Afghanistan by, by British forces. We had evidence that there was a lot of political pressure to close those investigations down. The Ministry of Defence don't like it because it damages our reputation and it's a difficult area for this country because... It is politically toxic to take up any stance against the armed forces. They do a lot for us. They fight for us around the country. They've made huge sacrifices. There is a huge sympathy for the armed forces, but that doesn't mean, in my opinion, that they can do whatever they want. <laughs> you know, justice has to be served. And if a girl has been murdered, that has to be explored to the absolute nth degree inside and out to get to the truth of what happened because at the end of the day it reflects on the UK it reflects on all of us if this is what the British army is doing abroad what does that say about Britain? Hannah and David approached the Ministry of Defence putting all the allegations to them directly this was their response In 2012 Special Investigation Branch carried out initial inquiries in Kenya including providing information about British personnel to the Kenyan police no further requests for assistance were received. Following conclusion of a Kenyan inquest in 2019, we are aware that the Kenyan authorities are looking into this incident. The jurisdiction for this investigation rests with the Kenyan police and we are currently in discussions with the Kenyan authorities to determine what support is needed. Due to this being subject to an ongoing investigation, it would be inappropriate to comment further. Back in Nanyuki, Agnes's family are still waiting. What they want is to be heard. For nine years, they have not been heard. They want to be able to tell Stacy when she grows up, what happened to her mother. She was dumped in a septic tank in sewage. She was treated like nothing. And what the family want is justice for her. Agnes's daughter, Stacy, is almost 10 years old now, and she doesn't know what happened to her mother. Right now she's in grade four. That's Esther again, Agnes's niece. She says the family is struggling financially to take care of Agnes's daughter, Stacy. Because they, there is no any support that is coming from any organisation yet. She's a happy girl. She likes joking, dancing... She's always happy like her mom. 
we love her very much because she always keep the smile in our family every day whenever we see her she has not yet known that her mother what happened to her mother she has not yet been revealed what happened but whenever she sees her the photos of her mom she always say it is she says it is agnes but she doesn't know who who's this agnes maybe when she grows up when she reaches at age that she can be told because at at this time she's still young she can be told everything because maybe she'll feel bad the family thought at that time there'll be justice so that the child can get her right for now it is being years till yet no justice have been yet found I don't know even what I can say because as a family feel there's a lot of pain. Yeah, we just hope for justice only that. If you could send a message to the British authorities to to the army here, what would you want them to know? They to question the soldiers so that you can get justice also for the loss of the of one of the members and also for the for the right of a child only because it is so painful. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Agnes Wanjiru's niece, Esther, the northern editor for The Sunday Times, David Collins, and news reporter for The Sunday Times, Hannah Al Othman. You can read more of their work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producer today was Leona Hamid, the executive producer was Asia Fuchs, and sound design was by Falcon Kisselturk. If you'd like to get in touch with us with any thoughts on what you've just heard or any ideas you'd like us to pursue, then please do drop us a line. You can email us at storiesofourtimes@thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like... You know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.